Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. My name is Jill Foos. I'm a functional medicine and integrative nutrition health coach. I created this podcast to bring you along as we travel down intriguing science-packed roads, debunking old medical paradigms and perusing new innovative therapies and modalities with the finest functional medicine doctors, practitioners, and like-minded biohackers while living our best life. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode on the Health Trip Podcast. Every day, we hear more and more about the importance of gut health and how it relates to all chronic disease states, such as cancer, Alzheimer's disease, cardiovascular disease, and type 2 diabetes. No one aims to get sick, but our conventional healthcare system is not well-versed in preventive approaches to our overall health, especially when it comes to gut health. More often than not, the doctors we are seeing are not asking us about the foods we're eating or not eating, our level of daily stress, sleep, or exercise routine, all of which play a huge role in our gut health. Poor gut health can now be scientifically tied to poor mental health, low libido, weight gain, hair loss, disrupted sleep, and so much more. Layer on top of that, the menopause transition that all women will go through. Menopause already opens the door to those four chronic disease states I previously mentioned, but is now showing in new research that it plays an adverse role in our gut health. So the first lines of defense are lifestyle interventions and getting our gut health in order. There is no better guest to have on to speak about gut health than my guest today. Karan Krishnan is a research microbiologist and a health and wellness expert who aims to make complex information understandable to all. He has founded a number of successful health and supplement companies over the last 15 years, including co-founding and leading Microbiome Labs, the preeminent microbiome therapeutics-focused brand among healthcare professionals. He has conducted and published several research studies in scientific journals and has published chapters in scientific textbooks, reference books, and has global patents. He is a sought-after speaker on human health and the microbiome. <clears throat> My medical disclaimer before we dive in, by listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice or to make any lifestyle changes to treat any medical condition in yourself or others. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any of my guests on my podcast. So sit back, open your mind, and let's dive in to gut health and women's health. Hi, Karan. Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. So happy to have you here today. Hi, Jill. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I had the pleasure of meeting you in person uh, after using your products for over eight or 10 years. So it was really nice to meet you a couple months ago when you talked about the gut brain access outside of Chicago. Yeah, it was. Uh, that was a great meeting, uh, by the yeah, way. Yeah, it was. Um, um, and such a relevant topic. So I was, I was very happy that you were able to make it. I also love being there and meeting other health coaches because so many times, um, it's not that we're left out intentionally, but we're just becoming more, um, more important, more part of the equation for people's overall health and wellness. So it's glad to, I'm glad to be part of that population to be included in, in some of these conferences. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think one of the really important roles that, that health coaches play is that accountability portion, yeah. uh, you know, because, um, there's, there's often, 
a uh, communication disconnect between the, the individual and their doctor. Um, and, and a lot of times that's an hour spent together, right? And sometimes longer, yeah. sometimes less. And then it's up to the individual themselves to, to make the changes and stay with the regimens and so on, um, which we all know is really hard to do. And, it is really hard. And it's often often leads to um, a um, compliance issue and then lack of results. Then lack of results brings, um, you know, confidence issue and loss of hope. And it just and then it just then you just switch to a different doctor. Absolutely. Uh, right. And then um, without that coach is part of the program, it just you really lose that accountability component of it. Well said. Could not agree more. With that being said, let's jump into your love of being a microbiologist. Yeah. You know, it's um so my my brain is wired in such a way that I'm constantly on the prowl for the unknown and you know the new things, right? And it's not it's not about like the shiny new thing, it's it's about innovation. Um, you know, where where can I utilize my capabilities? To, to try to drive innovation, try 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 to drive discovery. Um, and then of course, through that process, be able to educate people about it, which is one of the most exciting parts of all of it, right? Knowledge is absolutely meaningless unless you share it and you 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 use you utilize it in a way that really impacts people. And so um, I actually had one of two areas that I would have gone in. It would have been in the world of quantum mechanics and and you know uh physics of the small things um which is a which is a, very similar to microbiology in a way where there exists a universe that we can't see but impacts us on a daily basis right in in every way shape or form that we function it impacts us so that's the, the whole quantum world of at uh, atomic and subatomic particles and then there's the microbial world of this this invisible universe that is in us, on us, all around us, that impacts us. And we knew very little about it, especially as it related to health. Um, so for me, the microbiology side worked better um, because it had the, the biggest relevance to human health um, and, and clinical uh, applications. And my mom is a medical doctor and my dad was a microelectronics engineer. So I got a little bit of both, right? So my mom mm -hmm. is a great clinician, very empathetic, you know, um, a, an amazing systems biology thinker. She's trained as an allopath, but, you know, I've actually done a number of clinical trials with her, with, with her patients, uh, with a number of products. So she's like, it's really kind of opened up her eyes on things. Um, my dad was a microelectronics engineer. So he worked in the world of physics and engineering, and he had over 200 U.S. patents in his name. So he was an innovator. He thought of a lot of things and he invented a lot of things. So I, got, I think I got a mix of both. And um, and I think microbiome and microbiology services my drive and needs really well. Yeah, I heard you once talk about that, how the microbiome with all of its diversity is very similar to outer space. And I thought that was such a cool analogy because it really makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Yeah. Well, you know, number one, like, like the, uh, like out of space, there's a, uh, there's been an evolution over the mm -hmm. course of time, right? Um, there are all of these natural forces at play that cause the formation of planets and suns and, uh, you know, stellar objects and how, you know, galaxies are formed and how they influence one another and so on. 
Uh, and it's just a matter of time. And then, and then the natural order of things start to fall into place. This is the same thing with the microbiome, right? Our microbiome as humans had, didn't evolve overnight or over a few hundred years. It over, uh, evolved over millions of years um, in conjunction with us, right? So as our physiology was evolving, so were the microbes that govern that physiology. And it's a really elegant natural order of things because it's this complex ecosystem that has all of these thousands upon thousands of variables and all of it has to work together in concert for this construct of the human system to function properly. And that's why it's uh, really exciting because then when you start thinking about disease and disease process, which can seem really complicated, which can seem really daunting, which can also seem like just bad luck, right? The, the prevailing thought, I think, you know, uh, up until about five, seven years ago is that most diseases were, you know, a, a function of bad luck, like, oh, you yeah. just got MS. Oh, it's so too bad you got cancer, you know? Oh, you just have the worst luck with this kind of stuff. Like people just thought it was just a freak of nature thing that happened. Um, but now we know all of those things that are seemingly incurable, like cancers and neurodegenerative conditions like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, MS, all of these types of conditions, of course, heart disease and other things that were known to be lifestyle, all of those things involve the microbiome in some way and involve the functioning of this ecosystem, right? And um, so it's, it's, it's really interesting to start to understand. And we're just at the tip of the iceberg start to understand like the connections between all of these things, you know, connecting all those dots. Yeah. And we're going to connect some really important dots between the menopausal transition and women's health and gut health. But before that, I think we should define what the gut microbiome is. Um, I know this is super easy for you to define, but very complicated because a lot of people, by the time someone comes to me, it, you'll be surprised to know that a lot of people think the gut microbiome is just the stomach and what's in the stomach. And it's right. so much more than that. It is. It really is. Um, and and we can also, you know, define two terms that people may hear. One is microbiome, and the other is microbiota. Mm -hmm. right? And you you'll hear them kind of being used somewhat interchangeably, but they have different meanings. So microbiome is really the totality of organisms uh, and all of their genetic elements. So often the microbiome is referring to the bacteria, the viruses, the fungus the you know, um, protozoas or whatever may exist in that environment, in the ecosystem. Typically, they're talking about the whole system, which is a human being, uh, and then all of their genetic elements. So all of the genes that come along with the microbes. So that whole encompassing ecosystem is called the microbiome. Now, when you get very specific into like the gut, the small bowel, the large bowel or the stomach or the mouth, very specific components, mm -hmm. Then when you refer to the microbes in those components, you often use the word microbiota. So even though we say the gut microbiome, you can kind of say that because the gut microbiome is so big. Normally, microbiome is referred to as the whole thing, which is the entire system. Uh, and, and then more accurately, you would say gut microbiota. So what's going on in the gut microbiota, right? What's happening with that population? But for the purposes of our conversation, we'll use them interchangeably so that people understand that. Uh, the other thing that's really important to note with the microbiome is you've got more microbes in your system than human cells, right? The numbers debated, it used to be 10 times more, now it's about one and a half to two times more. No matter what, it's more, right? We have more microbial cells than human cells in our system. What is not debated is that we have 
uh, at least 150 times more microbial DNA in our system than human DNA, right? So for those that are listening who, who may not be familiar, remember DNA are genes. They're the, they're the things that code for proteins and other things that will actually do the work in the body, right? Genes are simply just the code. Genes don't actually do anything except hold the code. The genes have to be translated into proteins. And then the proteins go on to do all of the function. They become enzymes and they become hormones. They become all kinds of stuff, right? So our DNA, the belief was our DNA is what we use to conduct our function as a human. And then we we started doing this thing called the Human Genome Project, where we're trying to map out the human DNA to understand what all the genes are. And then the other hope was that we'd find a, a gene for every disease, right? That, right? that there's a heart disease gene, there's a diabetes gene, there's this you know a cancer gene of some sort. And so the idea was that okay, maybe we can affect the the progression of these disease states by impacting the gene or gene expression. Now, they sequenced the entire human genome and they said, okay, there's a huge problem here. And the problem is that they figured out there's about 22,000 functional genes in the human genome. And that might sound like a lot if you're not familiar with genes, but there's almost 30,000 functional genes in an earthworm, right? So we are far less sophisticated than even an earthworm in terms of the volume of genetic code in this highly complex system, right? So it left a big gap because then it was like, well, how do we function? How do we do the things we do? We have, we do not have enough code to conduct functionality, right? And that's just for people to really understand that it's like, you know, the computers that, you know, that, that run everything, they have lots and lots of lines of codes and there are lots of microchips that contain codes in it. Imagine, you know, you, you have a computer that's a supercomputer and you open it up and you look at it and there's one little microchip in there with like 50 lines of code that, that is similar to like your old TI-85 cal calculator, right? That some of us used in high school, depending on when you went to high school. It would really be confusing. Like how in the world does this supercomputer do everything it does? Well, then you start to discover that the microbiome includes genetic material from microbes. And as it turns out, we utilize millions of genes from these microbes in order to conduct basic function. And so the microbiome encompasses that component of it. And there's about 150 times more microbial DNA in our body than human DNA. And so it goes way beyond the stomach, goes way beyond the intestines, way beyond anything that's looking at it at, a, at, a, at an individual component of the body. It's really the totality of your system is this microbial soup complex ecosystem with all the genes. And it's the only part of our body that is exposed to the outside world. Yeah, I mean, it's the it's the key part of the body that adapts to the outside world, right? So um, it's the part that dictates how your body responds to the world around you, right? So for example, if you you know, I could eat something, right? And then you could eat the same thing and, and you might have a really bad reaction to it and I might be just fine, whether it's an infection, whether it's an allergic response and so on, right? So then the question is, okay, why would one person respond mm -hmm. this way and the other person be totally fine? That is a function of the microbiome and how well your microbiome is adapted to training your system to tolerate or deal with that new food. 
right? And the same thing occurs with changing geographies, you know, moving to a different environment, um, dealing with other things you come in contact with, chemicals and all that we're, we're under contact with all the time, all the different things that are found in our food and our water supply and all of that. So your body's adaptability and resilience, and resilience is a very important marker because resilience marks how well your body tolerates negative stimuli right mm -hmm. and we cannot exist without negative stimuli we just the the world doesn't exist that way right so then how your body deals with negative stimuli will dictate how quickly you age how quickly you break down how easily you get sick you know how vulnerable your systems are and so on all of those things are controlled by how the microbiome Res, uh, allows your body to respond. And that's going to sound weird to some people, right? Because I'm talking about our body and I'm talking about the microbiome. And then I just said how the microbiome allows your body to respond. Well, as it turns out, a lot of the ability of your immune system, for example, to, to respond to the world around you comes from the microbiome dictating to the immune system what it should react to, what it shouldn't react to, how it should react to things, and so on. Because it's the microbes that become the eyes and ears of a lot of the internal processes in your body, right? Um, and that may be part of this issue of having limited genes, right? Our immune cells are born with limited knowledge because we barely have enough genes to make immune cells, let alone feed them with knowledge about the world around us. And of course, the world around us can change from time to time, right? As you, you move from New York to LA or from LA mm -hmm. to North Dakota, right? wherever you go, there's a different environment, different stimuli, mm -hmm. different antigens, you know, different types of food, different negative stimuli. Your body has to adapt to all of those things. And it's your microbes with their massive treasure trove of genetic capability that allows you to, re to respond to those things appropriately. If you don't have the right microbes, then they're not working with your system. They're in fact, most of the time working against your system. And that's where disease comes from. That is so fascinating. Right? It's so, we've, yeah. we've, we've given mind blowing. Control, yeah, a lot to yep. microbes. And it wasn't, and you know, even though I say that we gave control, it wasn't a conscious decision in that the, the human biology was like, eh, we're just gonna have them do this, right? This is how we evolve. We are part of the ecosystem, right? So I talk about having, uh, you know, lots and lots of microbes, right? So we have, you know, something like 20, 30 trillion microbial cells in our system. And, and of course, millions of, of genes uh, versus our tens of thousands of genes and, 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 a, and maybe about a trillion or so human cells. Our cells and our system is part of that ecosystem. It's we are just one part of it. And even though we think of ourselves uh, as being the big part of it, because we're physically the big part, we can see ourselves, we can't see the individual microbes. We're no larger than the individual microbes that make up the ecosystem, right? And so we function because that ecosystem exists. If that ecosystem did not exist, we would cease to function. You can you can see this in studies with something called nobiotic mice. Nobiotic mice are mice that are raised with no microbiome at all. Mm. Right? They're raised in a completely sterile environment. So when they're first born, they're born in a sterile environment, and then they're hit with lots of antibiotics to basically kill off any microbes in their system, and then they're continuously raised 
in very, very, very sterile environments. Now, they have certain basic functionality. They can eat food, they can breathe air, they can do some of the, you know, they can poop to a certain degree and all that, but they don't live very long at all, right? They, 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 they can live sometimes as little as weeks because their immune system doesn't function at all. Their hormone balance is completely off. You know, their metabolic system's completely screwed up. Everything's just kind of screwed up in them because they don't have a microbiome. And yet they have all their genes, all their cells, all their own DNA. When you don't have the microbiome component, you have no ecosystem and you can't function. So ultimately we want our microbiome to be very diverse, like a rainforest, right? Just full of the good and full of the bad, right? They, they have yeah. to live harmoniously together. And when people end up taking a lot of medications such as antibiotics or maybe their lifestyle inventions that we touched on earlier are not in line with living a healthy lifestyle, this diversity then goes down. And yeah. there's some very important other functions of the gut microbes, such as extracting nutrients from healthy food that we eat, synthesizing vitamins and minerals. Talk a little bit about that because when your microbiome is not a rainforest and it's more of a desert, it yeah. can't do these jobs. And then we start to see on the outside, I think it's easier for non-medical people to notice the changes going on outside of their body to then start to have a light bulb moment and think, oh, something's going on underneath the hood. Things such as hair loss, which I experienced for 20, 25 years on and off. Um, skin issues, eczema, psoriasis, uh, acne, uh, weight gain. So all of these symptoms are representing a larger issue going on, starting in what it sounds like our gut microbiome. Yeah. So all the things you mentioned are basically um, basic functions in our body dismantling because our ecosystem no longer supports them. Right. And, and, you know, keep in mind for us to have hair, for us to have normal skin, for us to have grow nails properly, break down food and assimilate the nutrients and then, you know, detoxify the food and poop it out. All of those basic functions, right, and maintain leanness and maintain muscle um, strength and, and density and all of that stuff. All of those are basic biological functions, right? It's Those aren't superhuman capabilities. Those are very basic mm -hmm. biological functions, but those basic functions require as we touched on earlier, this ecosystem that's balanced, diverse, you know, utilizing and providing genetics and uh, all kinds of other capabilities just to maintain basic function. And so once that ecosystem starts to become compromised, as you, as you say, they it, it loses diversity, which means it loses functionality, then those parts of the of the body start to fall apart. And then you see it as aging skin, loss of mm -hmm. hair you know, losing a vision, clarity and vision fast, teeth rotting, gum disease, uh, you know, autoimmune conditions, your immune system is going haywire, right? So now you've got allergies to things that you never had. You've got sensitivities to foods that you used to be able to eat just fine, right? Uh, pain in places like joint pain and, um, you know, back pain and all of these things, loss of strength, loss of energy, all of these things is just the basic systems dismantling, right? So we think about ourselves as a house, you know, as a house gets older and if it's not maintained, then things start to fall apart, right? You start getting mold growing in one area, the plumbing starts leaking, the toilet doesn't flush anymore, some of the lights don't come on, not all the outlets work, right? It, those are just a slow dismantling right. of the system, right? 
So even though we see these things as like seemingly unrelated, some people may not see hair loss with low and having like low energy and brain fog is like related at all. They're like, oh, I have these two separate problems. I've got this thing happening on my scalp. And at the same time, I've got a thing happening, you know, just in my gut or my body. I just feel low. All of those things are connected. So let's let's talk about for a moment how what happens to food, right? Let's go. Let's um, educate people on what happens to food as it goes through your system and what the microbiome does for the food, right? So you're 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 chewing your food now. One of the first things that that happens is food is is a big source of danger as well, right? Because lots of bad stuff can come in with the food. You can get contaminated food, so you can get lots of microbes like viruses, bacteria, and yeast and so on coming in with the food. So you need protection from the food, from the potentially bad things in the food. That starts in a very, in your mouth itself, in your saliva, which has enzymes and all to start breaking down the food. You also produce something called secretory IgA, which is an immunoglobulin that helps neutralize all kinds of potentially bad things in the food. The production of that IgA is determined by microbe stimulation in the gut, in the immune tissue in the gut. So your microbiome is starting to protect you from the very first bite by increasing your production of secretory IgA so you, you can neutralize anything that's potentially bad and harmful coming in with the food, right? So then you swallow the food, food goes down into the stomach. Of course, the stomach releases stomach acid and all that. Now the microbes in the stomach have to be balanced. If you have an overgrowth of microbes like H. pylori, for example, which would be an imbalance uh, of microbes and, and a dysfunction to the diversity in the gut, in the stomach, then you start to reduce stomach acid production, right? So H. pylori, that's one of the things it does is it reduces stomach acid production and it makes the stomach less acidic, which is a key way in which the stomach functions is through the acidity, which means that then the food you put in doesn't get adequately acidified and broken down. So the first step in digestion occurs in the stomach. The stomach acid cuts up proteins and carbohydrates and chops big things into much littler things. It dismantles these complex folding of protein. So it's a long string of protein instead of this really complex three-dimensional uh, structure. All of it so that when it goes into the small intestine, you have a better shot at chopping it all up with enzymes and then and, and absorbing it, right? So yeah, healthy stomach with a healthy stomach microbiome affords all of those functions. If your stomach is dysbiotic, then you're not going to produce enough acid. You're going to get lots of stagnation in the stomach when you eat. It, it's going to feel like it's just sitting there like a rock forever. You feel full very quickly. You might even produce a lot of gas because this, the stomach acid is, is not um, low enough where it's going to prevent the fermentation of uh, food in the stomach. So now you might get gas and gas pain and what we call gastritis, right? which is kind of a inflammation and a bloating out of the gas um, of the stomach. And so now you might feel full, bloated, uncomfortable. You might be burping. You might even have reflux from all of that, right? So all of that is just because you've got an imbalance of microbes in the stomach. So then move to the intestines. Uh, intestines, we secrete some of our own digestive enzymes, but we're really bad at secreting digestive enzymes, right? We the amount of digestive enzymes we naturally makes declines with age relatively quickly, especially once you hit 30 and above. Uh, and then we don't also make enough complex enzymes to break down all the complexity of food. And so we get an assist from the microbes in the system. Some of those microbes in the small bowel will produce some digestive enzymes to help us break down the protein adequately or the carbohydrates or the fats so that we can 
absorb the nutrient components of these things into our system through the small intestine, right? Now, if we don't have adequate microbes in the small intestine, we have a dysfunction in the diversity and we have problematic microbes, what not only will you not get to break down the food effectively and assimilate the nutrients, but they will likely ferment the food in the small bowel and create more noxious things like ammonia gas, for example, right? So now you get really severe bloating and gas and discomfort. In fact, some of that gas and discomfort and all can disrupt how this the small intestine uh, uh, moves. And so you might get a lot of cramping and IBS-like symptomology, right? You'll get a lot of inflammation in the lining of the small bowel, which makes it leaky. And then that means every time you eat food, you get a huge dose of toxins that move through the leaky intestines into your circulatory system that causes inflammation throughout the body, right? That damages the brain. It damages lots of organ systems. It causes a suppression of your immune system, all of these issues. And it becomes the foundation of most chronic illnesses. Right, all of this just because you have the wrong microbes in the small bowel, right? And then, and then uh, the food moves into the large bowel. Whatever food we didn't break down and and absorb, like fibers and things like that, will move to the large bowel. In the large bowel, what's supposed to happen is uh, lots of groups of microbes ferment them and produce really important compounds for our functionality. So I'll just give you two examples. One is urolithins. Urolithins are these amazing compounds that help to repair our mitochondria, which are the little engines in our cells, right? And the most well-defined uh, theory of aging centers around dysfunctional mitochondria, right? So poor aging and loss of functionality in different parts of the body comes about because the little engines in the cell start to die off. And if the engines die, the cells die. And then the organs that the cell makes up will start to die as well. Along that death process, you also get what we call morbidity, which is a, uh, a reduction in the functionality of that organ, right? So this is one of the things that happens in the eyes, for example, which is why lots of people, you know, need glasses, right? I mean, most adults need glasses of some sort. Um, most kids nowadays need glasses or contacts and all that. And that's because your eyes have a lot of mitochondria because they're absorbing photons and producing all these things. So they, they need energy, a lot of energy, right? And the mitochondria get disrupted in the eyes to the point where the, the eye cells aren't functioning the way they should. So your vision becomes less and less over time. That's why you need to correct it more and more, right? Same thing with, with your gums, same thing with your skin. As the skin cells become dysfunctional and aren't able to replicate and replace, then your skin no longer looks youthful. You start getting fine lines and wrinkles and dehydration. Same thing with the roots, you know, in your hair, right? The follicles in the hair become inflamed and dysfunctional and can't repair adequately enough. So they start shrinking the width of the mm -hmm. hair, um, you know, protein. And so it, that's, a, that's an indication of that root slowly di dying and losing dysfunction, uh, cause, uh, driven by dysfunction, right? So this hair shaft that it makes becomes thinner and thinner and thinner. Eventually, it just dies off. Uh, same thing with everything else, right? Uh, erectile dysfunction, everything, muscle loss, everything in the body. Once the mitochondria dies, then the cell that that the, that sits that the mitochondria sits and dies, and then the organ that the cell makes up starts to die. All of that occurs at an uh, at an accelerated pace because we're not making urolithins in the large bowel if we don't have the right microbes, right? The other ones are short-chain fatty acids. Short-chain fatty acids are really important 
for your entire metabolic process, right? We've all heard about these GLP-1 agonists that are really popular right now, right? Ozempic and all that. And in general, the data is really positive around these in terms of like weight loss and controlling blood sugar and uh, reducing cardiovascular disease and all that. All of that works because it's activating a receptor in the gut that, that produces this protein called GLP-1, glucagon-like peptide, right? The microbiome produces key compounds like butyrate and so on that upregulate that same peptide, right? The drug is basically mimic, mimicking what a healthy microbiome would do. And this is why some people gain weight, have metabolic syndrome, end up with diabetes and all that, because they don't have the microbes, the adequate microbes in the large bowel to control all of those systems. The people that don't gain weight, that tend to be lean, that tend to have good muscle mass, uh, tend to not develop diabetes and all that, happen to have the bright microbes in the system that do the natural GLP-1 activation. And so if you don't have the right microbes in your large bowel, once food moves in there, you're not producing the right compounds, you're not activating the right uh, receptors, you're not, um, you know, you're not producing things like the urolithin to repair the system, right? You're not producing enough serotonin, you're not producing enough dopamine, you're not producing enough vitamins. Uh, all of these things start to falter, right? So your body becomes starved of all of these basic nutrients. And then eventually, also because your colon is probably messed up, if you don't have the right microbes, you don't form stools well, and they don't pass in a regular interval, right? So that you might be someone that's constipated more often than, than not, uh, or you tend to have lots of loose stool. You know, you might only go to the bathroom once every two or three days, uh, or you might go to the bathroom too frequently. Um, and all of that, again, is because of a microbial disruption, right? So, so hopefully what that illustrated for people is, you know, what is the role of the microbiome as you go through the digestive tract and, uh, and, you, and you swallow food? And what, it, what are some of the things it does for you and where, if you have a dysfunctional microbiome, what are some of the, uh, you know, results of having that, right? So someone who has a dysfunctional microbiome starting in the stomach, small intestine, and large bowel, what they may end up looking like is every time they eat, they get really bloated and distended in the stomach, right? They might have reflux disease. Um, and then once the uh, food moves into the large, the smaller bowel, they might get a lot of distension, a lot of discomfort um, that might produce uh, inflammation throughout the body. So they might have eczema, they might have psoriasis as a result of that. Um, they might have fungal overgrowth as a result of that. So you could end up with alopecia areata, um, you know, and then when food moves to the large bowel, you have a, a disruption of the production of these critical mechanisms. So you might feel very tired. You might have neurodegeneration, your muscles weaken, your organs weaken, you know, you might have eyesight issues, you might sleep in a dysfunctional way. All of these things start to fall apart. And then your digestive system feels really unhealthy as well. You're not going to the bowels, you know, you're not moving your bowels regularly and so on. So hopefully that made sense to illustrate for people that, you know, simple imbalances within the microbiome can lead to these profound issues that we see as disease states right? But they're not. They're actually just simple ecological imbalances that can be corrected. I, you left out hot flashes, but basically you described menopause. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, <laughs> and, and let's talk about hot, hot flashes for a, second, mm -hmm. for a second, right? I mean, um, the microbiome plays a really important role in hormone balancing because hormones are detoxed through the gut, 
right? Your body produces a hormone, utilizes it, but then has to get rid of it, right? Because hormone levels are highly controlled in the body. And one of the key ways in which your body gets rid of hormones, take estrogen, for example, is it goes to the liver, right? As, as it circulates mm -hmm. in the body, it, it dumps into the gut. And then from the gut, it goes through portal circulation into the liver. The liver conjugates it, which means that it's, it's neutralizing the estrogen. So it no longer functions like estrogen in the body. That, that cloaked, neutralized version of estrogen is sent, sent back out to the gut to be defecated, right? And if you have good functional microbes, that's what happens. If you have dysfunctional microbes, when that conjugated estrogen goes back into the gut, one of the things that these dysfunctional microbes can do is deconjugate it, meaning removing the cloak and making it active estrogen again. And then estrogen gets reabsorbed into the system. And then now you start to have this issue of estrogen dominance, which pre-menopause, a lot of women may suffer from that estrogen dominance. That is the main hormone dysfunction that a lot of women suffer from, right? And that can lead to things like polycystic ovarian issues, of course, lots of weight issues, emotional issues, uh, you know, higher risk of breast cancer, all of these things, right? And then you get to uh, your, your perimenopause and menopausal states where then all of a sudden you get this massive cliff dive of estrogen. And now your system's not functioning the way it should and your body doesn't know how to make enough and recycle it properly and so on. So you end up with all of these other dysfunctions and progesterone and all of the other hormones are also you know, in one way or the other, worked through the gut. And if your gut is not healthy and diverse, you're going to end up with hormone imbalances in the system. So um, in regards to the estradiol or the estrogen recirculating, you're talking about the estrobolome, mm -hmm. which yeah. is a series of bacterial strain that is associated with... um the estrogen cycle. Is that yeah. a good way to describe it? It is. Yeah. In its most basic function, a good functioning estrobolome, which is that constellation of microbes that play a role in estrogen. Um, the most functional way is that they help detoxify your body of estrogen. Right. right? Uh, and there's some evidence that some of the detoxification or the byproducts of those microbes metabolizing estrogen can actually have other benefits. Uh, it can impact your vaginal microbiome, for example, in a good way, right? So, so that is a very critical part of it. And if you have low estrobolome or dysfunctional estrobolome, then you miss that very critical step in the whole estrogen recycling. I want to talk about stress during menopause. And I don't know if it's stress on top of the menopause or the menopause transition is layered on top of the stress, but it is a very stressful time for a lot of women. I'm in my mid fifties and can attest to that. Um, and it can attest to all of the hormonal changes and how it's influenced my gut. And I've had to redirect my lifestyle to rebalance my gut health right? I have to eat differently. I can't eat like I was in my twenties and thirties. You know, I have to manage my stress differently. I have to exercise differently and I have to prioritize my sleep, all of these things. And they all do help me manage my daily stress, but talk stress is one of the biggest influencers on our gut health. 
It is. Um, in fact, uh, there was a 2015 publication in Frontiers of Immunology that showed, and this is what we call a meta-analysis paper, right? Meta-analysis paper just means it's a study that is that is a publication that's based on reviewing lots of studies on the topic. So it's almost like um, coming to a scientific consensus on a mm -hmm. topic. Um, and so the meta-analysis uh, uh, evaluation of this basically showed that stress-induced leaky gut was the number one cause of mortality and morbidity worldwide, right? So it's the number one killer of humans worldwide, stress-induced damage to the gut, which leads to leakiness in the gut, and then it leads to chronic low-grade inflammation because all this stuff is leaking through. So, so then absolutely, right, as a first step, stress induces a dysfunction in your digestive tract. And the reason for that, uh, and there's a couple of different reasons, but one main reason is because there are lots of microbes in your system that are considered to be opportunistic. And what that means is that they're really good at looking for an opportunity where the system is unstable. And then that's when they choose to uh, really express their virulence factors and their growth factors and try to grow. Right. So there's a lot of problematic microbes that have that opportunistic component. And one of the key things that these microbes have learned over time is that they can measure stress hormones in the host. And if the stress hormones are elevated, that's when they know that the immune system and other defense mechanisms are down uh, or, you know, compromised to a certain degree. And because of that, they go, hey, this is our opportunity to take over. And so they start expressing their toxins and virulence factors and growing quickly. So as you keep experiencing stress, you get more and more dysbiosis. It's like taking an antibiotic and creating a disruption in the gut, right? So then that disruption that you feel from the stressor is actually amplified because you're changing the microbial environment as a result of experiencing stress. But here's the kicker of it. Those microbes that grow better under those conditions and start to, you know, increase their population, their numbers, those microbes also induce more stress in the host. And why is that? Well, because they want to keep the system unstable, right? That's a better environment for them. So it becomes a, a self-perpetuating cycle, right? You experience a stressor, it causes disruption in your ecosystem. That disruption actually makes it easier for you to feel stress. That stress, that stress you feel easier now causes more disruption. The disruption further makes it easier for you to feel stress. And over time, what happens is people's tolerance lowers, right? Things that may not have bothered them in the past now become a big bother to them now. Our mm -hmm. thresholds and our tolerances go down, right? Mm -hmm. we, get, we get short with people. We just, we have this concept of just having a bad day, you know, mm -hmm. uh, woke up on the wrong side of the bed, right? All of these kind of sayings that we have colloquially for, for like just describing this low tolerance that we tend to have that day, that's all just a function of the microbiome, um, basically diverting your ability to manage normal stress and negative stimuli, mm -hmm. right? And that becomes harder and harder to do over time because it's a self-perpetuating cycle. These microbes are really good at trying to maintain the kind of scenario that works best for them. Even though it doesn't work right. great for the host, it's working best for them. And during the menopause transition, um, our progesterone, estrogen, 
balance, our ratio is not balanced. And so as our progesterone declines as well, we get worse sleep. And when we don't get good sleep, we feel even more stressed. So I can see how it is just a really negative um, loop that we go in and out of every single day. It, it is. And and uh, the loop is the key term here, right? Because yeah. it, just, it keeps perpetuating itself yeah. and the intensity increases, right? So then what tends to happen is um, you start to, uh, to you start to establish this kind of basal level of anxiety throughout the day, right? Because eventually stress will lead to anxiety. That that basal level of anxiousness over time leads to a feeling of hopelessness because everything makes you anxious and everything seems kind of doom and gloom. Mm -hmm. and the definition of hopelessness is depression, right? So this mm -hmm. is how you go into mood balances, issues, low tolerance for things, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, not being able to deal with the people and the things that you used to normally deal with all the way to having this basal uh, level of anxiety throughout the day and then eventually depression, right? Yeah, you know, I'm very fortunate that in Chicago, I work with um, a lot of psychiatrists and therapists um, in sharing patients and clients because they understand the importance of gut health. They, they might have to medicate some of their patients mm -hmm. temporarily, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. We all need medications at some point in our life. Um, but they do understand the importance of lifestyle intervention and gut health in terms of anxiety and depression. Yeah, absolutely. And that's fantastic because, um, you know, we've been, we've been managing anxiety and depression the same way for almost 60 years yeah. now very poor results, right? And there is this awesome uh, revolution around the gut-brain axis. Uh, and there are, and that, that some of that charge is being led by certain psychiatrists and, you know, like uh, like Ted Dynan and, and these um, really uh, innovative uh, psychologists and psychotherapists and microbiome experts that are making discoveries on how microbes can impact the brain in a very significant way. And in fact, the, the way you arrest this cycle, right, that we, we talked about the cycle and, and somebody who's in it right now may listen to this and go, okay, now I understand why I feel that way, but, you know, like, what can I do about it, right? Um, you can arrest the cycle and, and you arrest it actually by, like you said, shifting your microbiome. So starting to bring diversity back to the microbiome. So, so you can kind of outcompete the microbes that are driving the cycle that want to keep you in that state, right? So you want to have the right probiotic, prebiotic, you know, get outdoors. You want to have a high diversity in your diet. Uh, you want to also manage stress on the outside, right? So doing mindfulness work, meditation, exercise, you know, is one of the most powerful things you can do to manage stress, breathing techniques, all of those things, just throw all of it at it. Right. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then on top of that, psychobiotics could be extremely powerful, right? These are probiotics that arrest this cycle uh, by modulating inflammation in the central nervous system. Um, and, and all of this is perpetuated by inflammation in the central nervous system. So if you have a microbe that can stop this, then you can absolutely, you know, arrest the cycle and start walking backwards the, the, the damage and the, and, and the changes that have happened to the ecosystem, right? So the good thing about all of this is that our understanding of the root cause drivers now is is uh, makes it evident that you can reverse almost all of this stuff, you know. Absolutely, which, absolutely. Which about it, right? Right, right. And I I want to talk about some of your products that I've been using for so many years, and that I help 
um, guide my clients to use as well. Your your um, your total gut restoration program is a three month protocol that is going to help bring back your gut health. And I want you to talk about that before we end. And also you just mentioned your psychobiotic, which is the Zen biome, which I've started using with a lot of my clients who do experience excessive anxiety and depression, and it's really helped them. Yeah, those are, those are both really, really exciting products to talk about. Um, so the total gut restoration was a simple approach, right? Um, the, the most prevalent question I would get from clinicians when I started doing lecturing and all that on the microbiome and in, in, in the holistic functional medicine space was how do I know what's wrong with my, my patient's microbiomes, right? Like I, I have a patient mm -hmm. in the morning that's a diabetic and then the next uh, patient is a, is someone with anxiety and then the next patient is someone with autoimmune disease. And, and they know intuitively or from reading that each of them have a microbiome issue that's driving the condition. But the big question is, how do I know what's wrong with the diabetic microbiome versus my anxiety patient's microbiome versus my autoimmune patient's microbiome? As it turns out, um, when you really dig into it, they all have the same thing wrong with their microbiome, right? And, and this is where that study that I mentioned, the 2015 publication showing that stress-induced leaky gut is the biggest driver of more mortality and morbidity worldwide. The reason that can happen is because leakiness in the gut becomes the foundation to virtually any disease, any chronic mm -hmm. illness, right? And it sounds crazy when you think about it, but it's absolutely true because I think most people who have been following the world of health and wellness are starting to understand that the vast majority of chronic diseases are inflammation-based, right? Inflammation is the foundation required for the disease to exist, you know, cancers and, and metabolic syndromes and, you know, all these neurodegeneration and even things that we didn't think were uh, inflammation driven, like heart disease, right? And heart disease right. was for the longest time thought to be like a plumbing issue with dietary fats getting stuck in your arteries and so on. We know it's not, we know it's an inflammatory issue and that's very well established now, even by the American Heart Association. So um, inflammation is the key and leakiness in the gut is a number one source of chronic low-grade inflammation. This is why leaky gut becomes the number one underlying driver of chronic disease. So then we looked at leaky gut and go, okay, what's happening there? You know, how is a gut becoming leaky? And it becomes quite simple. There's a, there's a simple imbalance of microbes that occurs. And these are microbes, uh, an imbalance between microbes that build and maintain the lining of the intestines versus microbes that destroy and eat away at the lining of the intestines, right? So anytime you have microbes, there's going to be battles between ones that have different uh, outcomes that they're trying to achieve. And in the case of the gut, in the intestines, we have these really important structures on the lining of the gut that makes it not leaky and not permeable. And it's microbes that maintain those structures. And if you get an imbalance of microbes that maintain it versus microbes that destroy it, you'll end up destroying that structure and your gut becomes leaky, right? So we said, okay, first thing is that imbalance. We have to target that. That's where we developed this uh, megaspore biotic, which is a spore-based probiotic that brings back the balance. And it does so through a series of quorum sensing, which is reading other bacterial signatures, finding dysfunctional bacteria, competing with them, producing compounds to regrow the beneficial bacteria. So thereby bringing back the imbalance, bringing back into balance, the imbalance that is starting to lead to 
an over diminishing of that lining structure, right? So that's step one in the total gut restoration is we have to fix that imbalance. Step two is when you start to establish the, the, the growth and the presence of the really beneficial microbes that rebuild those lining structures really well, you want to feed them specifically so that their numbers stay high. So we designed some prebiotics that specifically feed these types of organisms. So then that becomes step two in the process, right? Step one, starting to bring back the balance mm -hmm. and increasing the growth of the organisms that rebuild the structure. Step, step two, feeding those organisms to establish their numbers, right? And then step three is providing these organisms with the building blocks of, those, of the lining structures, the mucosa lining and all mm -hmm. that. We are made up of proteins and, and certain amino acids. So we put those into the system so that the good microbes now can rebuild the structure and completely alleviate the leakiness of the gut, right? So the total gut restoration is about fixing the microbes, mm -hmm. then the structural components of the lining mm -hmm. of the gut, it's stopping that leakiness, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it, And it takes a little bit of time, hence it's a yep. three-month system. Uh, but it's a really important revamp for, for almost anything. The psychobiotic um, is really important because what was discovered is that people that have very balanced mood, who have a very healthy response to stressors, out, uh, you know, external stressors, and people that have very low rates of neurodegeneration tend to have certain types of microbes in their gut that stop and arrest the cycle of, of um, stress-induced activation. Of the, of the neurological system. This is the activation of what we call the flight or fight response, right? So flight or fight response is your basic stress responder in your body, your, your sympathetic versus parasympathetic mm -hmm. nervous system that people have heard about. We know that parasympathetic is basically rest, digest, repair, rejuvenate, right? Mm -hmm. That's all the good stuff that's happening. Sympathetic is fight or flight, Right. And so it's your your world exists as a balance between these two neurological systems. Now, if you're someone that's constantly anxious and uh, and moving into dis, uh, even depression and have mood issues, you tend to lean towards the sympathetic. You tend to be in fight or flight all the time. Right. Which also means you're not resting. You're not repairing. You're not digesting. You're not rejuvenating. Right. And so you don't sleep well, you don't assimilate your food well, you can't recover faster from illnesses, you get ill faster, all of these things start to dismantle because you're more so in the sympathetic. Now, what's keeping you in the sympathetic is this activation loop of inflammatory markers from the gut to the central nervous system, back to the gut, and so on. So there are microbes that live in your gut that stop that inflammatory cycle and shift the body back into the parasympathetic. So it can actually change your neurological waves from fight or flight back to rest, digest, repair, and rejuvenate, right? And these are considered to be psychobiotic. So Zen Biome is a perfect example of that, which is a, a, an identified psychobiotic that's now, you know, we have something like 10 published studies on it showing a significant reduction in stress and stress markers when people ex experience an outer, uh, um, an external stressor, uh, a reduction in all the inflammation associated with stress, a shifting back to the parasympathetic neurological system, and then, and then very excitedly, a change in brainwave activation when you encounter a stressor. And this is a very important note because we have low and high frequency brain waves. High frequency brain waves are really important when we are doing really intense work, right? Or we're in sports and we're like 
really focused and heightened and we need our brain to function really well. If you experience a stressor, an external stressor, and you're in a high frequency brainwave, what tends to happen is the, amp the stressor gets amplified, right? Your brain goes into spiraling thoughts and thousand and one scenarios and all that stuff. And you actually just blow up how, how significant that stressor actually is. There, there's something called a coping center of your brain that's not actually functioning really well in that state. What you need to be able to do is tap into what we call the low frequency brainwave. That's an individual that's very chill and calm when they experience an external stressor, can think through it, rationalize through it. The things that are within their control, they can take action. The things that are not in their control, they can basically compartmentalize and go, you know what, I can't do anything about that. So I'm not going to worry about it, right? The difference there is, are you dealing with the stress in high frequency brainwaves or low frequency brainwaves? The most well-known way of trying to achieve the low frequency brainwave action is through meditation. That's the biggest you know, benefit of meditation is tapping into low frequency brainwaves, but it's quite hard to do. And we have microbes that do that for us. So the psychobiotic can shift your brain uh, waves as well when you, when you encounter a stressor. Wow, Karan, I could listen to you for seven to 10 days in a row. I have about a million more questions for you. And unfortunately we're coming to an end. So I'm just going to have to have you back on again. Sounds like we need a part two. Absolutely. Just incredible information. And I'd also like to say how much I'm really enjoying um, helping my clients with your new, the, well, it's not new, but it's kind of new to me, the biome testing um, kit. Yeah. 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 And I actually have one of your lead educators coming on my podcast next week. Um, Kara. Oh yeah, Kara. Yeah, Kara. Kara's awesome. coming on and we're going to talk about um, the stool testing because I think that's another uh, Im important piece of data for especially menopausal women together. What I find in my practice is that with my midlife women, the more data we collect, relevant data, right? Comprehensive blood work with their MDs. Uh, I like to look at micronutrient testing to show them you might think you're eating a healthy diet, but you have some gut dysbiosis because you are not absorbing all of the nutrients that you should be. And that's why you're seeing adverse things on the outside of your body, right? Yep. That's exactly right. Yeah. And this, the old, this, old saying of you are what you eat is actually, you are what you absorb. So. Absolutely. And I just did a podcast with someone over at Timeline Nutrition on urolithin A and gut health and how important that is to mitochondrial health. I always say to my clients, you're only as healthy as your mitochondria. And as we age, they are losing in quantity and quality. And so it's really the, the magic elixir to good health. And it, it's all connected. And um, thank you so much for sharing your time with my listeners today. They are going to have so many golden nuggets here. Um, and we will, I would definitely love to have you back. Um, but for everyone listening, please follow Karan on Instagram. I love your Instagram. It is, you have, as you've displayed today, such an eloquent and passionate way of delivering such high highly confusing material and data to non-medical layman people. And that's who we need to reach. Absolutely. Yeah. I, knowledge is power, you know, and, and nobody's going to be a bigger advocate for your health than yourself. Um, but you can only do it if you have the right information and you understand how all of this works and how your body works. So I, you know, I really appreciate programs like yours that, that provides a platform for people to get educated. So it's always a pleasure to be able to jump on and 
add my two cents in there into their process. So absolutely. And all of all of this is going to work so much better if the lifestyle interventions are in place as well. These are not magic, um, magic pills to take. Probiotics are not magic. You have to layer them on with a healthy lifestyle. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much again. And I hope everyone's enjoyed the show. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Lifestyle changes can be hard and overwhelming to make. By building your support team of functional medicine doctors, therapists, and health coaches, you can reach your optimal health goals. Be sure to check out my other podcasts. Until we meet again, stay healthy.